feel like a pharmacist up there. <laughs> this is, uh, so I can put it over there. I can. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite places to, to, uh, to teach, to preach, to whatever you call it here. Um, and the reason is, it's just so um, easy. It's informal. It feels like family. It's like there's a feeling of I don't really know you, but I feel like I do. And I don't feel that anywhere else that I go. So I want you to know that. Um, good morning. I want you to turn to John chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to kind of summarize for us what's going on before we read it. So um, eventually we're going to pick up in verse 22. <coughs> I, um, I've been away for a while. I was, I was pastoring a church in Cortland, small <laughs> country church. Seven, eight people, sometimes three, sometimes four. Um, whole nother story, but uh, I was there for 25 months, uh, and it was good. I learned an awful lot, um, and it was very hard. It was very, very hard. But during that time, I got the, the email updates that you send as a church. You know, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're involved in. Here are our needs. Here's what to pray for, all those kinds of things. And so I, I know just a little bit about what's been going on in your church. And with that in mind, when you think about all the ministries that are involved here in your church, I want you to ask yourself, what is the work that God requires of us? What is the work that's required of us? We're going to be coming back to that question. Um, And, you know, the context, the context of the passage we're about to read, it's on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Everybody seems to know this story where he's, uh, he's teaching and the te- you know, evening comes and, they, and the disciples say, should send the people away so that they can get home in time to, you know, to get food, to eat. They didn't have refrigerators. They actually had to go and get the food. And then Jesus says, why don't you give them something to eat? And they kind of look around and you know, I'm kind of summarizing here, but the disciples in a sense say, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So, uh, so one of the disciples says, there's a boy here with, uh, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And, uh, and they give thanks. And you know, you know the story. They feed this mass amount of people. And there's enough left over that they're picking up scraps. They're picking up scraps. And so uh, evening comes. Jesus withdraws. The disciples go down to uh, the boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're in a city called... Um, Tiberius, and they get in a boat, and they're headed for Capernaum, which is about a three-and-a-half-mile journey across the Sea of Galilee. And so, uh, so Jesus is over by himself over here. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus walks out to them on the water while they are en route to Capernaum. This isn't where Peter gets out and that whole, not that. Um, but when Jesus approaches them, uh, when he gets into the boat, they are immediately at their destination in Capernaum. So they get off. It's morning time, Capernaum, and they're off doing their thing. Meanwhile, back at the base, uh, the, uh, the, the people, you've got to imagine, just drop into this piece of history where you are one of the people that's been, uh, you had heard this great teaching and you had an enormous amount of food. Think of the last time you had a really, really good meal. And you felt really, really good about the good meal you had. And you just kind of, the whole world makes sense to you. <sighs> you know, oh, that was good. And you kind of reflect on all the things that happened last night, the teaching, the meal, and you're kind of looking around. Where did everybody go? Where is everybody? Where's Jesus? 
we got to find that guy. And so they go looking for Jesus. This is where we pick it up in this passage, uh, starting in verse 22. Uh, the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but it, that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word is beautiful, and we pray that your spirit would quicken it to our hearts, not only this morning, but throughout the week, as you cause our minds to reflect on the good gems that are here. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Um, Cindy and I took a vacation a while back. We don't take one every year, but when we do, we try to make it special. And we went, uh, we were on a cruise. This is 2009, probably the only one we'll ever take. Not because it was bad, but because <laughs> there's so much involved in going on a cruise. And, uh, you know, they, everyone always says the food is wonderful, and it is. And, and because of, it's almost like a curse. Because of that cruise, I have uh, an image in my head of the most perfect meal in the world barbecued swordfish, and something that I ate for dessert called a mocha tortillette. I'm probably never going to have that ever again in my life. But it was, I mean, it was like, I don't think, you know, the bread and the loaves, the loaves and the fish. Uh, in my mind, for that to be the perfect meal, I'm like, oh, I bet it was barbecued swordfish. And the bread, I bet it was really just like a mocha tortillette. It's just like a, it's just, you know, simplified for our uh, understanding. But um, I just have this perfect image of, it, it's just the perfect meal. I don't know that I'll ever have it again. But it's not just the perfect meal. I have in my mind a perfect image of what the most ideal encouragement looks like for my own heart. I have the perfect image in my mind of, what the, uh, of being understood. You know everyone kind of craves to be understood. I have a perfect image in my mind of what that looks like. And this morning, just this passage... It, uh, it centers our attention on the core of the hungers that I have and that you have. I'm not talking about just real meal, but the cravings that we have, the yearnings that we have. And, uh, and this morning, it's, it's a very practical, practical, practical study 
Uh, it will hit you. I promise it hits me. Uh, it's beautiful. We're going to look at these three areas that Jesus addresses in this passage that address these hungers that we have in our heart. Very simple outline, just one word. Um, I'll unpack them later if, you, if you're a person that writes these down. We're going to see that Jesus confronts, he corrects, and he commends. So he confronts, there's a confrontation that's going to happen, there's a correction that he's going to give, and then there's a, a, a way of commending um, that we're going to see. So we kind of recap what happened. You know, the 5,000 have been fed. Um, Jesus goes this way. The disciples go that way towards Capernaum. Jesus meets up with them. They're all in Capernaum. People wake up, reflect on the good things, and say, we need to find that man because that was an amazing night that we had. So they go seeking Jesus, and when they find him, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he, he calls them out in a sense. There's this confrontation. Verse 24, they go up to Capernaum, they seek him, they greet him. Rabbi, and here Jesus confronts them. Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So you're not here because of anything to do with me. You're here because of what you could get from me. And so he calls them out because you ate your meal. And you, yeah, man, that'd be nice to have. Again, Rabbi, when did you come? It's this honor, respect. Reverend, doctor, when did you get here? And I love that they don't, they don't come, well, no, we didn't. They're just like, I mean, they kind of absorb it. They don't defend themselves. Their hunger drove them to seek Jesus, but their motivation was nothing to do with Jesus. Absolutely nothing. And every time, you know, when, when the disciples say something really stupid, and we, we look at them like, oh, man, they're so idiots, you know? I always think of that. Maybe the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. So I'm just going to share it with you so we don't get a smug uh, uh, ideology in our minds when we, we want to call the, fair, or the, uh, the disciples out or these people who are seeking Jesus. Um, there is a passage in Romans chapter 2, the very first verse. And in a sense what it says is be very careful how you judge another person because at every point that you judge another person, you condemn yourself because you do the same freaking thing. That's a little paraphrase. <laughs> you do the same freaking thing. So don't get all smug and get on, high, on your high horse and go, oh, can you believe them? Because you do the same thing. And if you don't believe me, just ask the Holy Spirit. When you, when you feel all indignant and righteous, when you see somebody doing the wrong thing for the millionth time, just say, Holy Spirit, will you just show me how I do this same thing? And I mean, put on your seatbelt. Because they will come. They will come. So don't get all smug. Because uh, I'm tempted to get smug. Um, roll my eyes. You do the same thing. I do the same thing. Confidently I can say this. Jesus is confronting these things that are their number one pursuit. You're not seeking me for anything to do with me. But because you had a really good meal. You'd kind of like that to happen again. And I'm thinking, yeah, you shouldn't have. Oh, yeah, I do that too. <coughs> okay. All right. Moving right along. No one's to say they didn't need food. They needed food, but they were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons instead of seeking him for him. So I just want to personalize this and make this more about where we live, where we struggle. What does this look like? Because it's probably not fish and bread, even if it's swordfish and a mocha tortillette. I just want to drool. Um, what is the meat that drives your hunger? Think about your lives. Think about what drives your hunger. Um, some people, you know, it's wealth. They want to see a really big total in their checkbook, and that means confidence and security, and that's a hunger, and they would never say that to your face. 
But that's kind of what drives them. And you talk to them and they say, hey, I grew up poor. So it's almost like, oh, well, then you're entitled to do this. Then you deserve to do Hey, I grew up with nothing. So it's okay for me to do this. I hear that over and over. Well, I grew up poor. Oh, it's all right then. Um, or honor or prestige. For me, it's more of a reputation. I just want to be thought well of. Is that, you know, that, and I, it's, it, it, uh, it drives a lot of the things that I do. And the Holy Spirit does that. <clears throat> that he does. I don't know how he talks to you, but it's a clearing of the throat. It starts that way for me. Or it's a Romans 2.1, and I, I, I protest sometimes. I am not doing that. I'm not, you know, okay, don't, don't ever argue with the Holy Spirit. You're just not going to win. He's like undefeated. You're never going to, he's not going to, you know what, Brad, you got me on that, but I'll get you next time. You're never going to win a, a battle with the Holy Spirit. For some people, it's pleasure. Some people just want to be uplifted. I used to work for a gal uh, when we first moved to this area. My boss at the time, now my boss now, Uh, We were looking for a church. We were just looking all over. And she says, I don't go to church, but I would if I could find these things. Here's what I'm looking for. I want to go somewhere where I can be built up and encouraged and inspired and just feel better about myself when I leave. And if you can find a place like that, I'll go there. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, that's so messed up (laughs) on so many levels, you know. But she was just being honest, not a believer. Uh, I know you're shocked. But not a believer, and she said that in her mind, that's what church was. It's about me and me feeling built up, me feeling inspired, me being all encouraged, all about me, me, me. Um, But that was something that drove her hunger. I want to be inspired. I want to feel good about myself. Uh, I want indulgence. If you're a man, even if you're not, but especially men, you want control. If I could just feel like I control something, I'm in charge of leading my family, of providing for them. If I could just control just a li- just even my own household just a little bit more, then I could worship God more. Then I could go with my whole heart. It's one of the hungers that we have. Um, if you have your health, man, if you have your health, you have everything. If I just had my health, if I just could relax a little bit, and what does it look like for you and I to seek these things instead of the Lord? I want to make this even more practical. I think it shows up in our prayers. Because uh, sometimes we treat God like an ATM and we go to him with this thing in mind. Lord, my mother just needs healing. Healing, healing, healing. Sydney and I are going to be on the road driving to Atlanta. Lord, get us there safely. Uh, I have this little sentence I go through. Pray for no accident, no injury, no incident. You know, because accident and injury, you think that would prevent. But now we got road rage, so... Okay, now no incident, no nothing that's going to cause us to be put out of the way. Just nice, smooth roads. Um, pray that if I choose to exceed the speed limit, that maybe the cop is just worshiping and like, ah, Brad, you just go on. You know, just nothing that would interfere with what I want to do. And so that's what we pray for. And then when we get to Atlanta and we're all safe and all those things have occurred, all right, God, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I got what I wanted. I was seeking you for this thing that I asked you for, but not for you. Does it make sense? Lord, uh, cure, relieve, fund. I just need I just need this one thing. If I could just pay my electric bill. If I could just get enough money to pay the bill. And then the money comes in, you're like, oh. And you're not seeking the Lord anymore. Because you got what you were looking for. Nothing to do with the Lord. I just needed this amount of money to be paid. 
I just wanted this illness to go away. I just wanted traveling mercies for that moment. Eventually, we're going to want to come home, you know. <laughs> and we're probably going to be asking for traveling mercies home. And, oh, Lord, 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 Lord. We do this. We do this. Uh, this uh, thing happened. I just got back from a, a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Um, a little bit more on this. A lot of things happened down there. One of the things that happened, um, the accommodations, I use that term loosely, that we stayed in, this, just this, think of a cinder block bunkhouse. Okay, you got it. That's all I need to tell you. That's all that this place had. Just bunk beds, cinder blocks, and a roof, and a really nasty bathroom, like the likes of which you will never, ever see, I pray, um, that has a shower that uh, just as, as soon as a, uh, a droplet of water can become a stream, that's your shower. And sometimes slugs come out of the shower head because it's coming from a reservoir that's on the roof that's filled. I don't even want to know where they get that water. Um, just really gross. And it's, it's really hot. So they ask you to bring a personal fan that you clip to, your, to the edge of your bunk bed and you have it blow right on your face. Even with that blowing on your face, you're still dripping with sweat in your bed. Up above, uh, if you're lucky enough to have the top bunk, up above on the ceiling, there's an oscillating fan that does kind of this number. And when it, when it hits your face for that second and a half, you're like, oh. It's really good. And so the fourth night we were there, the fan stopped. And we had to turn on the lights, we turn off the lights, and we're all looking at the fan, and it's just not moving at all. And I'm like, oh, oh no, please. It's got to work. Well, if you're a man, uh, and I am the least mechanically inclined man that you will ever, ever meet, I don't know how it works, and yet uh, there's something that comes over to me that makes me think I should know what to do about this. And so we're, and all the guys I'm with equally as inept, I can promise you. And we're all looking at it like, well, well we should check the, you know, like we know. And we're like tapping it, you know, oh, now it's going to kick on, or, or we're moving the wires and flipping the switch and nothing. And it's so hard to be there. And I said, let's just pray. And the other three guys that are in this room look at me like, <laughs> you're doing it. Yeah, okay, you pray. And I, I, said, I said, Lord, it is hard to be here. And this fan gives us a measure of relief. And I just cannot imagine sleeping tonight without this fan. And if you could cause this fan to start working, that'd be great. I mean, really, that was the prayer. That was the prayer. We said amen, and, uh, and everybody looks at me, and I said, nobody look up. And we all just kind of look up, and of course, it's just sitting there, and it was like, all right, well, that didn't work. So we went go looking in some of the other rooms. Maybe there's another fan. Maybe we can move rooms. Maybe we can this, maybe that. Ten minutes go by, and one of the members of our team is in the doorway, and he says, we're smart men, right? I'm thinking, well, no, but okay, where are you going? And he said, these switches go to the lights, and then he goes to this little box, and he said, this box goes to the fan, and he turns it on and zips right on. And the sense was, no, never mind, Lord, we got it. We got it. It was our own thing. It was our own thing. We just forgot to turn on this box. And I said, we need to thank God. You know, I'm like, I was so just awed by the fact that he came through. But then when the fan started, even in my own heart, there was a sense of, all right, we're back. You, I'll call on you when I need something else. Um, that's what we see these people doing. I did it recently on a mission trip. I'm sure I've done it a dozen times. I don't want to tell you all my stuff. 
But I know I've done it a bunch of times since I've been back. And you do it too. Romans 2.1. You do the same freaking thing, Paul says. little paraphrase there. Um, okay, so secondly, secondly, we see Jesus correcting. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He's saying you're, you're being driven by a self-centered hunger. And what you ought to be laboring for is the food that endures to eternal life. It's a redirect. Jesus with these people that have come. And, and they follow him. Verse 28, they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's what I asked you when we first started. What is the work that God requires of you? Every time I ask this question, no matter where I am or what I'm preaching on, if I ask this question, all the wrong answers. Here are some of the answers I've received. Outreach, to provide for your family, to trust God. Humility, that's the most important thing. Um, to deny yourself, to take up the cross, a trust, obedience, evangelize, to devote yourself to prayer, and on and on and on. All these things that people say, this is the work that God requires of us. And they're, they're all important. I'm not discounting any of those things. But, but when these that were following Jesus ask about the work that God required of them, pay very close attention to Jesus' reply. Verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, Believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in Jesus. How hard is it to believe in Jesus? It's really, really easy, and it's really, really hard at the same time. Uh, they challenge him. They say, verse 30, then, then what do you do that we may see and believe? What sign are you going to do? What work do you perform? Do you see the irony of this? <laughs> yesterday I fed you and 4,900 of your friends from like nothing. It's the reason we're having this conversation. But he doesn't, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't shame them. Um, he uses sort of this object lesson because, you know, I could say, hey, I do the same thing. I know you do the same thing. Scripture tells us that. Um, how many times have you uh, experienced God intervene in such a way that in, in the moment you thought you would never, ever forget? So humble. And then you come to a time where you ask him for something, or you're on your knees just pouring out, Lord, are you, are you even listening? Do you hear? Are you there? Um, this, uh, this same mission trip to the, to the Dominican Republic, um, the first three or four days were just really hard. This is the second time I've been. It's just hard to be there. It's, everything's filthy. The whole town, the whole, as soon as you get out of the airport, there's a smell of the Dominican Republic that's a mixture of exhaust and BO and something burning just all the time. And you just have to get used to it. But you don't. You're always aware that, yeah, it really smells. Um, and I just, I really wrestled this time with just getting used to feeling greasy. If you're a camper, you won't mind so much. Cindy and I hate camping because we say it's all fun and games till somebody needs a shower. Uh, I just hate that feeling of waking up with just grease. And you just have to, when you're drying off from your shower, you need a shower. That kind of thing. And so I'm just wrestling with, and I went on a college uh, trip. So there's, I'm surrounded by college students who are, if you're a college student here, this is nothing against you, but completely self-absorbed. Yeah, like I'm not. But completely self-absorbed and talking about their uh, stuff, their language, their lives, their music, 
And I'm just, I don't, it's like another language to me. And then on this fourth day, uh, I'm uh, hanging out with this 12-year-old boy, getting to know him as much as you can with the language barrier. And, and at the end of the day, having heard the gospel, he comes um, not through a line, not through an altar call, but he approaches me wanting to pray for salvation. Totally blew me away. And, I, you know, as a minister, you would think, oh, you do that all the time. You've led people to the Lord. This is the first time I have ever done this in my life, ever. I've always wanted to, and everyone thinks, oh, surely you've done it. Never done that before in my life, 44 years old, never done that. Always wanted to. Hear about these kids that got to lead people to the Lord. I go, it'll happen. I'm not, like, hanging on for it, but it'll happen. Well, it happened on this trip. And I asked the translator, because I'm so into my funk of, this is hard to be here, and I feel greasy, and I wish I could just, a lot of things. And I said, are you sure he's ready? And the translator said, yes. Look at him. His, his whole demeanor changed. Silent. He was introspective. He knew what he wanted. And I explained to him, made sure he understood. He did, and I prayed with him. And I just went from despising the conditions to totally brokenhearted and weeping. So humbling. So humbling. Where you can just forget all the ways that you're self-absorbed and just, okay, I get it. And I'm never going to forget this. Well, yeah, for 19 minutes, maybe. For 19 minutes. Um, so I'm never, I'm never going to question God's goodness again. But look what these seekers do. Verse 31. Here's what they say. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> they quote scripture to justify their stance to the Son of God. They're quoting scripture to the Son of God. I just love that. That's so pompous, arrogant. I'd love to call them out for this, but... Okay. Um, watch what Jesus does. He takes the example they give, and he, he takes them to a different place. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then in verse 35, he commends himself. This is the third point in our outline. Um, and it goes hand in hand with the correction that we've already heard him give. Remember the, the labor, that God, the work that God requires of you to believe in Jesus, believe in the one that he has sent? Very important. Verse 35, Jesus said to them this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. And he says, do you believe this? Because that's the work that's required of you. It's belief. That's the labor that's required of you. Very important to understand. Jesus is saying that he is the food, that he is the drink for every hunger and every thirst that they will ever, ever, ever have. You believe this. That's the work that God requires of you. If you ask me, Brad, do you believe this? I would say to you, no, I do not. No, I do not. I want to tell you that I do. I want to tell you that I believe this. I know that's the right answer. But if I tell you yes, that means that every time that I'm hungry, every time that I'm thirsty, that I run to Jesus, that is not what I do. That is not what I do. Uh, it's, it's, it's not true. Where do I turn when I need relief? Well, 
I got a lot of things I can turn to for relief. I can numb out on TV. I can go to the internet. Uh, you know, they say to, to teenagers when they're prone for trouble, um, if you look for trouble, you'll find it. <laughs> that's not just for teenagers. That's for anybody, especially when I'm looking to cure a need that only Jesus can fill anywhere else except for Jesus. But I don't turn to Jesus for relief. Sometimes I do. Most of the time, hey, I, I got a whole lot of things that I can go to for relief or escape or reward or to be understood, or to be uplifted, or to be encouraged, or if I just want to rest. I have lots of things I can go to except Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's the food and drink for every hunger and thirst that I will ever have. But the moment that I turn to anything other than Jesus for those same qualities of relief, and rest, and comfort, and assurance, compassion, and nurture, I demonstrate my unbelief. So I could tell you, yeah, I believe it. You believe it. We all say amen. We go home. And we demonstrate with our activity that we don't believe any of it. So I'm just being honest with you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ himself will satisfy every hunger and quench every thirst that you will ever have? No, I don't. My, uh, my, my activities uh, call me out. They call me out. What if I turn to fishing? There is nothing wrong with fishing. Women, if, if, what if you turn to shopping? There is nothing wrong with shopping. But if you are shopping because you're depressed and discouraged and you're just expecting it to just give you a lift, you're demonstrating your unbelief that I don't believe that Jesus can satisfy this hunger right now or quench this thirst right now. So you know what? i got a backup plan. I'm just going you know, to go to Madison Square Mall and look around. I just feel better when I do that. Um, not realizing that I'm gonna, it's going to leave me feeling more hungry and more thirsty than when I started. Uh, are, are the things that we turn to deliver in some regard? Otherwise, we wouldn't turn to them. But as we turn to them, looking for them to meet deep needs that only Jesus can fill, they steal from us in the process. They own your soul in the process as you turn to them. And it leaves you in a horrible, decrepit, and broken place. Jesus Christ himself says, the one who comes to me will never hunger. The one who believes in me will never thirst. Do you believe this? Well, now, now I understand the labor of belief. Oh, now it is work. Because I have a whole bunch of things that I want to turn to. And it's just, it's just not doing it for me. I want to give you another example from Scripture. I hope it will help it make sense. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to summarize it like I did before. Um, John chapter 11, story of Lazarus. Jesus has a very, very close friend, like a brother, named Lazarus, the one that he loves. And, uh, And Lazarus one day falls sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, send word for Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And they are sure, surely... We've seen him heal complete strangers. Surely he will come and heal the one whom he deeply loves. And so I am sure, this isn't in the passage, but I am sure that even before it was realistic to expect Jesus to come, that they're kind of watching at the top of the road for the little dot to appear. Here he comes, it's going to be okay. And he doesn't come. In fact, Jesus, with his disciples, remains in the place where he is two additional days after having heard the news. 
And so they're waiting, they're waiting. Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and sicker, and he dies. And a day goes by, and two days goes by, three days, and on the fourth day, Jesus shows up. And now he's already in the tomb. You know, we're not doing a whole lot of fancy embalming like we do now. There's a nasty stench by now. And he's, game over. Game over. It's too late. Here's Jesus. It's like, oh, this is rich. This is going to be good. This is going to be great. And Martha runs out to meet him. Here's what she says. If you are following along, you don't need to. John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This truth and then this question that he asks her, do you believe this? That's the work. That's the labor that God requires of you. It's belief. Do you believe this? I believed it when I thought you were going to come and heal my brother, but now he's dead. And you're too late. Do I believe this? I want to, but mm, gosh, this is work. How hard is it to believe in Jesus? It's easy. I went forward as a child. I believe in Jesus. Save my soul. Yeah. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Man, that's hard. That's hard. Um, it's the work that God requires. It's this correction that Jesus gives right before he commends himself to them. Um, John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. The one who believes in me will never thirst. In light of the work that God requires of us, can you believe this? In light of where it is that you struggle with, your own hungers, your own thirst for escape, reward, to be encouraged, to feel like you control something, um, to be uplifted, if you just need rest, and a whole list of things that go on and on and on that drive my behavior, because I must satisfy this hunger, I must satisfy this thirst. Um, The things that we turn to over and over and over, they disappoint us. Yes, Jesus, I believe, but you know what? If you don't come through for me, I do have a backup plan. And I don't mind telling you, i got a whole bunch of things I can try. Um, Jesus says this, and everybody knows this verse, Come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know that. Do you believe it? I memorized that one. I, I know you memorized it. Do you believe it? When you're weary and heavy laden, when you're burdened, and you've got to have relief, Do you turn to Jesus? I don't. I'm a pastor. I should do that. I don't do that. He's like way low on the list. Way low on the list. We talk a good game, but where do you go when you need relief? I'm just going to be really honest with you. I believe that Jesus can satisfy every hunger, that he can quench every thirst, but he just doesn't show up as fast as I would like him to. I mean, when I want relief, I want it yesterday. You know, and I know, I do know that if I go to him, he will eventually meet that need. But I want it like now. (laughs) I I live in a culture where I can get anything I want now. And it's totally spoiled me 
that everything I want, I should be able and entitled to have it now. So, Lord, I will give you a day. (laughs) I will give you a day to satisfy this hunger and quench this thirst. And if you don't show up in a day, I'll give you 25 hours just to show my generosity. If you don't show up in that little window, it's all right. I got stuff I can try. And I know it's not going to last long term, but in a moment, for a moment, I'm going to have an instant of relief. So I'm good. And that's my assurance. That's my assurance. Um, I'm going to give you an illustration from my own life. I keep going back to this mission trip of the Dominican Republic. I went for the first time last year. I'll give you a context of what was going on when I went this first time. Uh, I was working a full-time job, current job that I have, Hospice of the Valley, Decatur, uh, working in, uh, I'm a bereavement manager there, so everything that has to do with death, that's my job. When we lose a patient, I reach out to the family. We have a community bereavement center. We do groups for homicide, suicide, loss of a parent, loss of a child, loss of a sibling, for teens, for children that are in the midst of losing maybe a parent or somebody special, but they're not gone yet. All the things, we go to schools when there's a crisis, maybe a student's been killed on the way to school or a suicide of a faculty member, whatever it is, all death, all the time. I know that sounds awful. Extremely satisfying and gratifying work. But for anyone, it takes its toll doing it year after year. At the same time, I was pastoring this small country church in Cortland. Um, I don't want to get super into it, but I will tell you there was no joy in that church. And it will take, it, it, will, it will steal your life over the long haul for anybody. And right at a time when I was working an average of about 70 hours a week, every snatch of time was accounted for. The evenings go, you, you start working on the scripture or the Sunday school or organizing worship and all these things. Every moment. I get a call from uh, an elder at Decatur Presbyterian, where I was going before I took Cortland, and he says, we have a scholarship for a Dominican Republic spot. Do you want to go? And that seemed like the most irrelevant, ridiculous thing I had ever heard. And just kind of in a smug sense of exasperation, I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. And they're like, what difference does that make? Yeah, you want to pick me up here and put me over there? Sure, I'll go. And I said, I don't even have a passport. But yeah, I'll go. And he said, you got time. It's only, you know, March. We leave at the end of May. You got time, but you got to do it right away. And I thought, well, if a passport comes, I'll go. If it doesn't, I won't. You know, that was my attitude. Not like, oh, this is going to be great. I've heard about this trip, the people that went, that talked about the hard conditions. And I thought, I'm already in hard conditions. What do I care? I'll go. So uh, I go, and uh, I, I, you know, I try to prepare. I read a bunch of books. I was going to be doing these three conferences for men. And I went there, you know, I have my, you see me? I got my notes, I got, I got to have my, you know, thing here. Uh, there is a room about a quarter this size, and there's about 100 men in it. And there's one cord coming down in the middle of the, of the room with a naked light bulb. It's not even very bright, just like you can tell it's going to go anytime. It kind of flickers sometimes. And I mean, I can't, I can't even see, I'm like, notes, well, this isn't going to work. So I abandon my notes, I get from behind the pulpit. And I'm just, I have a translator who's kind of walking around with me, and I'm just talking, and I'm just more or less explaining the gospel. And these men are so hungry and following and intently listening, and my translator is following even movements I'm making with my hands. He does the same thing back. And I start feeling very encouraged 
that these men are so hungry. And the questions they asked at the end, what does it mean to receive? You say you, you can only receive the gift of salvation like a gift. I don't understand that. How do you receive salvation like a gift? And after he's done asking the question, other men near him kind of, because they want to hear what I'm going to say. I couldn't even believe it. The amount of joy that I had when I left that first night. I mean, there's not a, I can't think of anything in the United States that will replicate it. The perfect meal, yeah, whatever. No, there's not a street drug. There's not an experience. I can't think of any way to replicate it. You just have to go back. Oh, God, really? You just have to go back. It was uh, it was this amazing, radiant joy. And the, the, the most amazing thing was God brought it into my lap out of thin air. I was overworked, working in a job that I really do love, um, hospice, pouring myself into that, pouring myself into these eight or nine people that may know the Lord, maybe not. No joy, just like a burden. And out of nowhere, here comes this Dominican Republic trip, just kind of... All of a sudden, one week I'm not doing those things. I'm in the DR talking to men, and they're hungry. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm reminded of a passage like uh, Hebrews 11.3 that says that God made the whole world out of nothing, Uh, created the entire universe just with a, a sound of his voice, and he is able to bring something from nothing. That's like a specialty of God. Something from nothing. So that if you're looking on the horizon and you're so discouraged, I don't even see how God could bring anything good out of this. Something from nothing is his specialty. He made everything that you can see from absolutely nothing. Another passage that comes to mind out of James, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Good gifts. He knows how to give good gifts. And so I share these two passages with you, and I say, I know you you may know the passage, but do you believe it? Because that's the labor that God requires of you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Um, And if, if God hesitates when I've asked for relief to satisfy a hunger or quench a thirst that I have, and, and it doesn't come immediately, I can trust the delay. I can trust the delay that at waiting th- for the provision from his hand will be better than taking matters into my own hands. That requires belief as well. When it doesn't come, and I'm like, you don't understand, I need it yesterday, and it doesn't come. Now it's really, what do I believe? Do I really believe that you can satisfy every hunger? Do I really believe that what I have as a backup plan is going to leave me more hungry and more thirsty and more broken than when I started? If I believe that you can satisfy every hunger, if I believe that you can quench every thirst, then I'm going to camp out at your feet and wait. And God uses that illustration in my own life of I took you to the Dominican Republic when you weren't even thinking that way. And I mean, I promise you, uh, family of God, um, one of the best blessings of my entire life happened that year, and again this year, in very different ways. Very beautiful, something from nothing. And it really fed a hunger, and it really quenched a thirst, and it was so good. It was so much better than anything I could have mustered ever, ever, ever on my own. 
And Jesus says to us, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never hunger. And the one who believes in me will never thirst. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is so beautiful. And it gives us an amazing invitation, a promise, and hope. And not only hope, but hope that will be satisfied. And I pray that your spirit would remind your beautiful church of the truths that you long and desire and yearn to demonstrate in their lives as they do the work that you ask of them to believe, to exercise their faith and believe the promises that you've given us. Heavenly Father, I confess with them that I do not do this well. And so I ask for your help. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.